0: Guys, we are in the zone. Episode forty-seven. Before we start, we are sponsored today by Tim Hortons Smiley Cookies. The reason being, Mitch Marner is a leaf for six more seasons. Now, do you guys like the contract? Do you not? Was it overpaid? If you had to guess a winner, is it Dubis or is it Marner? Who do you think? Uh, who do you think's the winner here? Do you think it's the Leafs or do you think it's Marner's agent? Because I know Marner's agent. There were rumors swirling that he wanted at least 12 mil, but he got 10.893 mil per year. What are your thoughts on the deal?
1: I like the deal, mainly because Mitch Marner's still a Leaf, and at uh, 10.8, it's pretty much around what we thought it would be. For me, it's less than what I thought, because as Leaf fans, we just always expect the worst, and we see 10.8, and we're like, oh, yeah, okay. So... One of the best players in the league already, one of the best playmakers in the le- in the league, I should say. Locked up for six years, we can and we
2: will, it's finally done. I like it. Six years, you know what you're going to get it Mitch Marner, it's coming off a 94 point year, $10.8 million, he's got to produce now, it's going to be some pressure, but Dubas did not go over $11 million, so we can all breathe.
0: Yeah, I, I really thought the longer it was taking, the more money I think yeah. that was going to get thrown in the deal, but... Luckily Dubis, I guess he he stayed hard headed with the when Marner's agent and uh, he got the 10.893. But I sent you guys a picture before. We have Matthews at 11.6. We have Tavares at 11. We have Ma- we have Marner now at 10.8. And then of course we have Nylander at I think it's like 6.3 or 6.4 or is it a little more 6.6 6.9. Six. Nine. Yeah. And then you have Freddie and Riley at five mil. So guys, is it safe to say that? the Leafs, they need to win now.
1: Starting to look that way. But uh, the comforting thing is all these guys are locked up for five or more years. But that's that's tomorrow's problem. Freddie
2: and Riley, I just want to enjoy what we're in right now. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) That's very positive. They got some time left on their deals. They're not up at the end of this year. So let's live in the now. This one season, go for the cup. If you don't, Somebody's going to have to get it cut. Maybe it's Nylander, Kapanen, Janssen. Those are the three that are expendable for your team. But for now, load up and make a cup run.
0: Now, with Marner finally signed, what do you guys expect moving forward with Mitch Marner?
2: 100 points. Hey. It's happening. I think he's going to be a guy that gets like 65 assists this year. I think it's a good number. Playing with Tavares, maybe with Matthews, if they want to experiment with that, I think he might be the captain this year so maybe more minutes uh just his power play numbers with Barry and Riley will be interesting because those guys like to shoot especially Barry so if Barry can get some power play goals off a Marner pass I wouldn't rule out 65 assists
1: yeah I think we're looking at a pretty similar year I don't know if it'll be next year but I don't think he's hit his goal scoring peak I think he's got a couple 30 goal seasons in him but you know yeah, him and Tavares, that uh, iconic duo already after one year, it should be awesome going forward.
0: Now, a lot of people have criticized the Tavares deal with all these contract negotiations. Do you guys think now with Mitch Marner signed for six seasons, does this Tavares deal look like a blessing at $11 million? Because we all know what Tavares could do. To me, I think the biggest question mark is the long-term Um so like the last couple of years in Tavares' deal, that's when we'll start looking. It's like, okay, is this guy still the player he once was? But guys, I don't know. I think uh, I think John Tavares' 11 million per season with now Marner signed is a very very great deal for the Leafs.
1: I think that contract to begin with, I was never like skeptical of it because when a guy like that's available. You kind of have to break bank to get them because yeah. you don't know. Like last year it was Stamkos and what's well, like with Panarin that just happened. Yeah, same like, thing. It, it's always going to be. Oh, it seems like it's going to be overpaid at the time, but you know what you're going to get out of a guy like John Tavares, and you add a guy like Mitch Marner to that. You know, I don't see how you can really go wrong. It's just about getting over the hump. They're obviously going to produce every year, and they're going to be
2: talked about every year. It's just a matter of. You know,
1: when's the window closing? That's the next question, really.
2: Yeah, San Jose offered the max that they had, like $12.5 just to get Tavares because they knew if he's a free agent, you have to go after him hard, aggressively. And he chose the Leafs for 11 so at least he got some sort of discount. But when that time comes, if he starts to slow down, maybe the salary cap will be a lot higher and they'll be able to have some wiggle room there. But right now, the contract, that's good for the Leafs because... They have these guys as their core going forward. It's not like, okay, I only have one year left with Matthews. I have one year left with Marner. What's going to happen? These guys are pretty long term for a a window of a Stanley Cup run. Let's do it.
0: Speaking of other RFAs uh, that have actually signed, uh, we've seen a trend happen uh, the last couple of weeks, actually. McAvoy, Wierenski and Besser all signing three year deals. But here's the kicker. The first year is at the lowest term or lowest base salary. And then when the term goes on in the three year, the fucking salary explodes. So let me just tell you Brock Besser's contract. So the first year he's getting paid $700,000. So next year, I hope this guy gets 90 points, getting paid 700,000. The year after that, 3.125. And the year after that, $7 million. And that all adds up to, I think, around like 15 million, something like that. Um, But what are your thoughts on these type of contracts? Because we saw Besser, Wierenski, and McAvoy all sign these type of deals. And there is a theme with these three players. They all have been injured in their entry-level deals. So do you think it's just because they were injured, or do you think this is actually a recurring theme
1: moving forward? I think it's a recurring theme. Uh, They're they're also All-American, just kind of clicked in my mind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Those stupid American kids.
1: (laughs) Uh, for, the, for the fans, it kind of sucks because then you see like three years from now and then they're going to want this and you're going to have to go through the whole situation again. For the player, I understand. Like you want to go for the bridge deal and bet on yourself and then break bank even more three, four years from now. So for the
2: player, I, I understand where they're coming from. Yeah, just three years. They want to make sure that year they're getting seven million. They're going to put up 100 points and that's when they ask for 11, 12, whatever it is at the time. But I like it how it's uh, not front loaded like the other contracts where they got like 15 million the first year and then nine in the last year. It gives them that incentive to want to improve. Exactly. In the, seventh, the third year when they're making seven million.
0: I think the pressure's on more too for these contracts to actually progress as a player because the league is getting younger, and um, these contracts actually contradict that. So you're getting more money when you're older in your con, like when you know you're you're in the last year of your contract, but. I don't know. I think I feel like these deals are kind of weird for me because when I saw Zach Werenski like two years ago, everybody was praising him. This guy is the best defenseman under twenty five. Uh, he's he's probably better than Seth Jones. I heard that at some some people were saying that at certain aspects of his game, but then he just gets a three year deal here. I really don't know what they're expecting in, after his third year is done because I know Werenski, if he's healthy, he'll get you fifteen goals. He'll get you around fifty points. And uh, yeah, I, I, if I'm Columbus and Boston and Vancouver, it's going to be tough when their contracts are up because they're going to be getting paid around seven in their last year. And that's probably going to be the theme. They're probably going to be like, I want seven every year or I want 8.5 every year. And you got to remember, defensemen, it's a big price nowadays, especially guys like McAvoy and Morensky, So, And I was saying to Nick earlier, McAvoy has been injured for majority of his career so far. He missed half a last season. So If this guy was not injured, I think Boston would be also in cap hell. Kind of like the lease, Because this guy would probably want 8 mil a year. And he probably would want an 8 mil, 8 year, $64 million contract. And they definitely would not be able to afford it. But for now, they got lucky. McAvoy's been injured. They're getting that 3 year deal. And I guess we got to wait and see what happens. But yeah, I guess this is a recurring theme. I know Matt Kachuk said that he wanted to do the Matthews 5 year type thing. But I guess agents and gms have not been on that level of trust i guess five years i guess maybe it might be too long you gotta remember all these three players i just mentioned they've all been injury prone so i don't know what they're looking when they look at them and they go in these meetings what do they look at in terms of trade value because you know besser he's arguably your best goal scorer already and he's played Two sixty. what's he played he, the first year was around 60 games really Matthews
1: like yeah 60 and six, then 55 the next year yeah
0: so they they haven't really shown that much so I don't know if they really see a lot of trade value right now but man I don't know after that first year in their contract I wouldn't be surprised if they signed an extension right away maybe like a year or two after it's like yeah we'll just extend you it's kind of like what they did what the flyers did with Con, uh Konechny. he wasn't was he an rfa though
1: yeah yeah so he no wasn't R- talked about as, as much because there's this huge crop or
0: no uh, sorry not like connect me like keller so
1: uh, you're in yeah, the- that's with not an a zentry level but josh morrissey
0: yeah just same get same deal yeah exactly um but yeah just what are you guys thoughts on the guys that still haven't signed connor line a, kachuk ranton and point all these guys still not signed do you think they're looking at the three or do you think they're looking at the eight or the five uh,
2: i think they're looking at william nylander and mitch marner nylander held out to december to get his money and getting a nice salary and marner they're looking at the number he got and from patrick lyon Braden point who carried their team when it was uh time for them to do that they're gonna be wanting more than that so the gms good luck with that i'm just assuming everyone's looking at a four or five year deal because that's yeah. all that's really happened
1: other than mitch and Konechny. so just because that's just the way hockey is
0: <laughs> i feel like back in the day there was never problems with the years and deals like the there was always it was always eight years like that's like a minimum like that's a threshold eight years and that's it now it's like you could get three you could get two you could get five you could get six you could get eight it really is, there's it's all over the place so that's why I think this RFA period is actually very exciting too Kyle Connor I've heard he that um, Shovel Dayoff wants to sign him long term around six years and I heard that Line A they're looking to do actually a bridge deal in doing around two three years so. I don't really know what that means because I can't see line a being that player and doing that, but this is going to be exciting. I have no idea what the hell is going to happen.
1: Training camps already started. Yeah. We're like a few days in already. Well, preseason games are have started too. Yeah, So most people would say it's too late, but when do we get to that point where it's like, okay, sign the fucking deal. No <laughs> I,
0: I would, I would say right before the season, because like, you haven't trained, you haven't trained with the team. Kachuk has already missed a couple practices and we all know how important he is to them. He's a top six player. All these guys are top six players, like franchise players. So yeah, if I'm the GMs here, it's like, I'm looking at my, you know, my watch, like October rolling around. I gotta, I gotta talk to the agent. Like we gotta talk, we gotta speed this shit up, especially with Ranton. And we thought we said a couple, a couple months ago, like, Oh, this guy would, he'll sign no problem. But the biggest question mark is, is he gonna have a contract that's 40% higher than McKinnon's? Because McKinnon's right now is at what six, six point two, and like I've, I'm hearing Rantanen wants like 10 mil. Do you really think Rantanen is gonna, like, uh, he's gonna have a 40% increase than McKinnon?
1: Yeah, because I've said this so many times. When McKinnon signed that deal, it was one of the worst deals in the league, and he's coming off a 50-point season. It was mainly based on potential and what if. Now it looks like the biggest bargain in the, in the NHL. It is. No, it is. It 290 is. 290-point season. So if Ranton got
2: that much this early, yeah, I would not complain one bit. I would make it expire the same time as McKinnon so like that they both come into the GM's office and say, okay, uh, Ranton, do you think you're worth more than him? Start a little infighting and say, oh, no, no, it's okay. I, I sign, I sign, I sign. <laughs> 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 so that's another three, four-year deal then. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, just, I think the one that is shocked me it's Ranton and not signing like i thought Ranton and for sure right now would sign yeah but uh yeah <laughs> i i don't i don't really know what to expect with uh with macka chuck i feel like he's gonna ask for like nine and a half ten yeah. and they're gonna really be like you had one great year we'll give you like
1: 6.5 you and, see him because uh, for me he's the one guy i don't really see him on that level of uh point producing even though he had 80 this year, I don't know if he can maintain that. He's the one guy I'm kind of I question with him.
0: Yeah, uh, that, that's fair too. Uh, I think out of the guys that are left, would you say he's better than Connor in terms of fantasy, or no? You'd say Connor's a little better because they put up similar numbers this year. I
1: think that's the best argument, actually. Yeah, it is. Two. Yeah,
0: because I'd say Connor between the two. Because Connor is like, uh, like his role is there like it's it's valued he's what he's on the first line i think with wheeler and shifley that's deadly and then you have line eight ehlers and little on the second unless they switch i really don't know i don't i'm not a winnipeg expert but kyle connor to me 35 goals every year that's probably what you're gonna get 30 and kachuk you can maybe get 30 goals I don't want to say 80 points. I don't, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think he'll be an 80 point guy. I think 70 is a good number. But at that point, how much is this guy going to ask for? Because guys like Line a put up 50 damn points last year. That is where the argument for me, I'm not giving this guy eight years. You just put up 50 points and you were non existent in the playoffs, you were non existent for most of the year. You were only existent in November when you scored what eighteen goals in a month? Which is tailed off after that. Which is literally absurd. Eighteen goals in one month, that's more you, than the
1: rest of the year. You
0: don't hear <laughs> that. It, but yeah, I don't really know what to expect with Line A. If he gets a two
1: year, twenty million dollar contract, I would not be surprised. Ten mil per like I think that, for me, point's the weirdest one because I haven't heard one thing from Braden Point. In Tampa Bay I hear I just keep hearing They're offering him Less than eight And (laughs) that's That's a joke They keep lowballing him then Yes Which even now Is like okay It's next step time
0: Because he's He's been on a trajectory That we saw with Cooch The first year he had 40 Then he had 60 And then 90 (laughs) So it's like This guy is Has the talent And the offensive ability And the defensive (laughs) ability And he captain Team Canada So you you, you, This guy has a pretty Damn solid resume You can't be downballed You can't you they can't can be it. you can't be lowballing him now. Not this time in his career. You can't. So they're, they're
1: gonna have some problems.
0: They're though. gonna have some problems. <laughs> I don't know what to expect. If that means they have to ship off someone like a Gordy or a Johnson, whatever. But yeah, they have to sign Braden Point because then that power play will be the best in the league. And you can't argue that. But yeah, without that being said and done, now we're gonna go to our top ten fantasy defensemen. And I'm going to kick it off with Alino because I love when Alino starts these lists. He gets them going. He makes them juicy.
2: All right. So first, honorable mention for me, Drew Doughty did not make the list. Chris Letang did not make the list. And uh, I forgot who else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Vlasic, I had a soft spot for him. Usually I pick him up. Good little two-way player for fantasy. I didn't put him on this list. <laughs> so number 10 is Oliver ekman Larson of the Arizona Coyotes. He's a really good offensive player. He's uh, going to have some help now with Kessel in there. And just on the power play, I think he'll get some points. Minus, low will probably be at minus 35. <laughs> so if you can look past that, he could be a good bargain to add to your defensive core for fantasy. Yeah. Now uh, you're next. Okay, so
0: my so my honorable mentions are, wow, uh, Mark Giordano coming up. He'll do it this year. I'm sorry. I love you, Mark. Don't think you'll do it again. Um, Keith Yandel, another guy that just missed it for me. Uh, he had, what, 62 points last season. Everything was clicking for him. Um, don't see it happening again. I could see him getting around 50, not 60. He's just – he's 33 now. I don't see him getting 60 points. Um, Another guy for me this might be too early Rasmus Dahlin already for me on my uh, honorable mentions this guy me and Piniello have talked about him so many times this guy's a wizard when he's in the offensive zone his stick handlings retarded and then of course the last guy that didn't make it for me and he's my boy now PK Subban just missing the list for me so my number 10 you guys know I love this guy he's on Columbus and uh, I have him actually projected here 61 points going into this season. I have him getting around 15 goals. I think he's going to be an absolute stud. And you know what? I have him being a finalist for the Norris
1: Trophy this year. Ooh, I don't think anyone's arguing that. No. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, my honorable mentions. We'll start with Rasmus Dahlin. That next wave of skill, him and and just the way they play, just blows me away sometimes. I'm so happy. He put up 44 in his first year. He, he was, was quiet in the first half too, Darlene. He yeah. was struggling, and then he picked it up. It's usually the other way around, so that's it's pretty comforting. You can do that late in the season when teams are trying to get in. Exactly. So he'll There's be a minus 50, but I think he'll get 50 points. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Seth Jones, this was tough for me to leave him out because I think he'll be top five in Norse voting, but it's really nothing against him. There's just a lot of point-producing machines there. I still think he'll get 50, 60 points. And finally, P.K. Subban, who, by his standards, had an off year, but on the Devils, I think he could score around 20 goals and get back in that 50-point range. He definitely can, with the help there. Him and Hall, it's, it's going to be fun. Awesome. But uh, the kick off my list at number 10, Keith Yandel, who hasn't missed a game. <laughs> g- <laughs> yeah, very similar, this guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, he hasn't missed a game since the 08-09 season. Who the fuck does that? Yeah, that's fucked. (laughs) That's a decade without missing a game. And he's he's 33 years old. He's just – he's a machine on the power play. He's such a great passer, great setup man. I think he could hit 60 next year. He's got a great setup. It's like Riley with the Leafs. He's just kind of – okay, feed it to the point and then pass it off to the – you know, Barkov or Huberto and let them do the rest. So Or Trochek or Hoffman. He'll mooch a ton of Dadunov. assists. Or <laughs> Shit. He's one of those guys, he might be a minus, but he'll have like 40 power play points and a
2: ton of assists. Keith Yandel, number 10. My number nine from the Tampa Bay Lightning, Sergachev, number Whoa. nine. I think this year he's going to jump up in his production. He's going to beat out McDonnell for that uh, other spot there. With the, Hedman? Yeah, in the pecking order, I think he will, and... I think that could be a good duo for them going forward. I think McDonald might be on the down portion of his career. I don't think he has too many of those seasons they had in New York. But I got Sergeyev really having a strong year, breaking out even more, and he's got my number nine spot. What do you expect from him points-wise? I think he can realistically get like 55. Okay.
0: That's solid. all. Get some so, assists, get some goals. So now we have the breakout player, Sergeyev, this yeah,
1: there'll year. There will be another guy they have to sign in like yeah. a year. Ooh, good
0: luck with see that. <laughs> what 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 Alino just said with Serkachev. That's what I had last year with Provorov, and he completely uh, let me down. So yeah. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. But my number nine is on the Nashville Predators. Roman Yosi is in at number nine. Um, this guy needs to get signed next year. Uh, he's actually a UFA next year. I think that's a huge problem for Nashville. I think he's going to want around ten and a half. He's an absolute stud. He's probably. The second or third hardest defenseman to play against in the league. He's just that good. He's that dominant. A lot of people actually downgrade his offensive game over the last couple years. They think he's like maxed out at like 55. But you know what? With guys like Duchesne and Arvidsson and Forsberg and Johansson and all these guys up at the point. I mean, not at the point, on the power play. And now with the league, you know, having four of the five players. On the power play that are their forwards yossi if he plugs in on that first power play i would not be surprised if he hit 65 points he's just that type of player so that's my prediction uh this year for him i think roman yossi could easily
1: get 65 he's number nine on my list uh number nine i got tyson Berry, who uh, a lot of people with his move to the Leafs will think that his move it kind of diminishes him because he won't be getting as big of a role But the way I see it is, he's going to get on the power play. It really doesn't matter with who. He's still going to play 20 minutes a night. He's going to be relied on heavily. Him and Riley as the one-two punch, like what you said with Sergachev, his points can really move up. I think Barry can move up, even from last year. He had 59 last year. I think he can be around 65. He's that finisher on the power play. He's established himself over the last three years as one of the best offensive D in the league. So put him on a team with the Leafs. Yeah, I can see him doing it again. So I got him at
2: nine. Again, Tyson Berry for me at number eight. Uh, Just offensively last year coming over from Colorado, he's in a position where the whole team is offense. So he's just going to be getting all these plays for him. Babcock will put him on the power play. He'll get some goals there. I think I see him get 60, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets like a 57 to 60 range because Riley's also there and, Points gotta divvy up a little bit from the D, but I think Tyson Berry, those numbers will go up, the plus-minus will improve. It's just all the other areas in fantasy leagues like hitting and all that might go a little down. So good luck.
0: <laughs> my number eight is also Tyson Berry. Uh, I think uh, if anything, this guy can. I'm not even gonna sugarcoat anything here. I think this guy, if anything, if everything goes well, and uh, seen as they're looking more as Barry and Riley is like a one a one B it's not like Riley is superior better than Barry when it comes to like opportunity I, I think they'll both get their fair share of opportunities on the first unit I think that's why Barry's there too I don't think they just brought him over just to plug him in on like a secondary power play role they all know what Barry can do um Riley did it in one year you know he had 72 last year um I feel like Riley this year. I love Riley. I think he. I think he's. He's going to be mentioned on this list. I think he offensively he's retar- He's gifted. He's awesome. But Barry, I also think could get like 65 points. I see both D getting around 65. Maybe maybe Riley will get a little more. But you can't count Barry out. I think Barry's going to get some uh, power play time on the first unit. I don't think a lot of people see that, but I do. So. Tyson Barry, number eight, he could easily be higher, though, by season's
1: end. Number eight, I got Tory Krug, who was a walk-on into the NHL, has had double-digit goals every year in three straight 50-point seasons. There's yeah. really not much to say. He's the ace in Boston, has been for a while. Surprisingly, uh, he gets shit on defensively. Much Guys like Keith Yandel and Tyson Barry get shit on for the same reason that Tory Krug does. He doesn't have much help. Maybe McAvoy can pick it up with this new deal and motivate him, but... I think Tory Krug's the best defenseman in Boston still. He's 29. He's, his deal's up next year, so he's going to be looking to get a... Is penis.
0: he really 29?
1: He's 29, Holy yeah. Holy shit. Mean, I thought he was 20. younger than that. He's going to be a free agent next year. This is a big year
2: for him. I got him at number eight. I don't even have him on my list, and I'm happy to admit that. Screw Boston, all right? <laughs> yeah, I got uh, my number seven, Shea Weber, the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, here we go. I had him last year and the year before. He always seems to be in that top five range when healthy, but I just don't think he's going to play all the 82 games. I think that ship has sailed in his career. But if he's healthy, I think he can get realistically in the 50 range if he plays a good 60 games, 70 games, but... He's the whole reason why if Montreal is going to be successful, he has to play. He has a big role, a lot of goals, power play goals, hits, and block shots. So Shea Weber.
0: You know what's funny? I think if Shea Weber was not injured, Jeff Petrie would never be even, like, think, talked about with fantasy hockey because he's had 40 the last three years, Petrie. That's basically because Weber has not been healthy. And if guys like Drew Ann and Domi and Kokanyami becomes a player – I would not be surprised if Shea Weber is back on this list next year
1: at like 34 years old. We even saw last year when he played like 45 games. He still had double-digit goals. Like, what
0: the fuck? He has a a cannon, man. He has a cannon, and that's just – But, yeah, my number seven, uh, he was probably higher a couple years ago, John Klingberg. Um, This guy, when he came in the league, they were saying he was Eric Carlson 2.0. The hype was there um the first year he had 46 and like 62 which is actually stupid um the only reason why he's not higher is because of Miro Heisken, and I think he's gonna take a lot of offensive uh points away from him I still think John Klingberg though has the most like what's it called like he leaves uh Dallas's zone a lot he has a lot of room to carry the puck they really do trust him on the back end there I think John Klingberg could still get 65 70 points And again, power play does play a big factor. And I do think John Klingberg is still the power play quarterback in Dallas, even though Heiskanen is emerging as an unreal defenseman. But yeah, John Klingberg,
1: to me, number seven. Uh, Number seven, I got Roman Yossi, uh, one of the most consistent D in the league, fantasy or not. I wrote down this little stat. I thought this was cool. The last six seasons, he hasn't played less than 72 games. So he'll miss games, but he never really misses a lot of time to the point where it affects your your draft strategy or whatever. Uh, that The team's pretty low-scoring. He seems to get 50 points every year. So I don't really think that's a ceiling. I think he can get more. And like you said, if he's on that power play there, guys like Forsberg and Johansson and Duchesne and Granlund.
0: Well, we just saw the year Arvidsson had, too. Like, that was 30 insane. 30 goals
1: in 50 games or whatever. Yeah. So
2: this guy's very reliable, one of the best players in the league.
1: I got him at seven.
2: All right, number six, John Klingberg. Dallas, uh, just every for what you <coughs> mentioned there, like offensively gifted. I just think uh, sometimes he could be a little bit inconsistent because he comes in off the power play and then once you're counterattacking with the other team, you're in the other zone and that's where the minuses start to pile up. I think he can have a better year with Heiskanen. I think they'll probably manage something there with both of them, but I got Klingberg having a strong year again and being a focal point for Dallas.
0: My number uh, six is Tory Krug. Um, this guy, actually, when he came in the league, I remember that playoffs when he came in, and everyone's just har- just praising this guy, Tory Krug, Tory Krug, 23-year-old. Like, okay, yeah, this guy's pretty solid. And then all of a sudden, Zidane Chara's game started to slide, and Tory Krug just hit another level. And uh, Tory Krug hasn't looked back since then. I'll say maybe three years ago, that was when Chara's offensive numbers just tailed off completely. And that is when Torrey Krug just went up and stayed consistent. And uh, if Torrey Krug is going to continue to be the power play quarterback with the best line in hockey, I would not be surprised if this guy actually has a career year this year, especially now with a contract year. This guy's going to he's going to have a monster year, I think. I'm, I'm looking at around 65 to 70 for Torrey Krug. And if this guy stays healthy, just watch out because this guy would not be surprised if he gets 20 goals because he's
2: that good.
1: Uh, For my number six, I got John Klingberg. Been in the league for five years. He came in with that Eric Carlson hype. Uh, I honestly believe he's one of the best D in the league. I just love his style of play. His transition game is amazing, but because they're not great defensively, the minuses do add up. Um, Any situation you want to play him in, but his offense is just... He really does remind you of Eric Carlson, just not on that kind of tier. Uh, yeah, like five years in the league, he's at, he's averaged 50 points already. I still think there's room to grow. I think him and Heiskanen will be an amazing duo. I don't know if it's going to take a chunk out of his points. I think he can get around 65, 70. I don't see why not. He's on that top power play with Alino's
2: favorite player, Sagan. You know, just keep <laughs> oh, going, never look back.
0: Uh, Let's go.
2: My number five from the Toronto Maple Leafs, Morgan Riley. I think uh, he should have got at least that Norris Trophy. Was a little bummed out by that. At least consideration. Yeah. He wasn't even mentioned, I don't think. Like, give the guy some damn respect. What he did this year. They didn't do that. No, he wasn't. It was Jordano Burns, and... Uh... The Carls. And not Riley. Yeah, not Riley. <laughs> no, it was Gi- it Was Giordano.
1: Was it Hedman and Burns? Burns. I think Headman's the safe pick there. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. But Riley should have got considered... Had a great year. He showed up, yeah. All the points he picked up, what he did during the year. This year coming up from the year before, improved every year. And I think he's going to continue to do that this year with Tyson Berry in the mix. I got Morgan Riley number five. Number five, Pinello's boy, John
0: Carlson, Washington Capitals. Now, we, me and Piniello go way back with this character, with this guy. Uh, I remember the first year we did our draft, he had around – 40 points and he was like 20 22 23 it was a while ago and i remember uh, the year after he got injured and he had like 30 and 56 and piniella was like this guy could be like a shattenkirk and this was when shattenkirk was like 56 and 70 he was like retarded and john carlson ever since this guy said that statement has actually improved every single season and was it last year
1: he had or two years ago, we had like 74, uh, 68 and then 70. The OK, last so.
0: Years. So there you go. I it's just consistency and I think he'll get it again. I, I think 70 is not out of the question. There's really no competition behind him on Washington's blue line. That's why I'm so confident in John Carlson and do it again. Ovi's not slowing down. Kuzi's doing lines, but he's still, <laughs> you know, he's still putting up points. Nicholas Backstrom still not slowing down john carlson to me is number five on my list
1: number five john carlson ah there's Uh, where it gets (laughs) the same he's always been uh he's always been a good defenseman but really the last two years he's just fucking exploded and if there's any player it's nothing against him but if there's any player in the league that mooches assists off one certain guy it's him (laughs) because he feeds ovechkin and he bangs it in and 35 power play assists later but like yeah you look at that depth chart and there's no one. No one's going to pass him. He is that guy. He's the race in Washington. You can do it again. Yep. I don't see why not. So
2: Carlson cracks my top five. I have John Carlson at number four. Uh, because, yeah, like you guys mentioned, there's no one else there to get secondary assists off Ovi. Nobody. He's the only one. The biggest mooch probably in the NHL. <laughs> and uh, when Kuznetsov's out there and he's not uh, snorting lines and collecting fines, they got him. <laughs> getting the assist off his nets off. And then when Backstrom's out there, secondary assist to Ovi, you can easily just pile on 65 assists a year just on a power play.
0: All right. My number four, Victor Hedman. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what it is with Victor Hedman. Um, I think I it was two years ago. I thought this guy was going to be the best fantasy defenseman. I thought he was actually going to surpass Carlson. But I don't know what it's been the last couple of years. I know he hit 72 years ago or three years ago. And I remember I had him the first year he had 55 points. And I said, okay, I don't think this is his ceiling. I think he has a little more. Um, I think 70 is his ceiling. Uh, that's why he's number four. A couple of years ago, I probably would have had him maybe second. Um, but, you know, you have Burns and all these other guys. And they're a little more consistent than Hedman. If Hedman actually... Um, takes kind of a reduced role in case Serkachev just... He just, you know, he peaks. Let's say this season, he'll get like 60 points. That is when Hedman will start dropping. But for now, I have Victor Hedman at number four. It's no knock against him. It's just... I feel like he doesn't get opportunities to shine some games because you just have Kucherov and you have Stamkos and Point and they're getting five points each. And then Hedman's on the back end and he's just trying to shut down... The best players on the opposite end, not really – like you know what I mean. There's some games you don't really see his offensive drive, but his offensive instincts easily top three for me when when I look at defensemen. But for me, Victor Hedman,
1: I'll say 70 points is his max. He's going to be sitting in at number four. Number four, Victor Hedman for pretty much the same reasons. There it Uh. is. Just a great defenseman. Uh, I I kind of view him like a Roman Yossi. Like 70 is a ceiling, I think, but I think he can get 50 to 60 every single year. The main reason I have him at four is I just I don't think Tampa's gonna kill themselves in the season to score eight goals a game. No. So his points are gonna take a dip. I still think he's gonna get around 60. Safe pick, one of the
2: best in the league. Hedman at number four. Number three, Victor Hedman. <laughs> I think uh, this year, like you mentioned, like his ceiling is like that seventy range, and especially with all those offensive guys like Point, Stamkos, Kucherov, and I think Sergachev's going to really ascend this year. You can't really go and shoot for ninety points as a defenseman, no. so I think no. his uh, point uh, production will be a little lower, but he's still just going to be a reliable fantasy player, I think, and part of Tampa's success.
0: All right, number three. Brent Burns. (laughs) I have Brent Burns at number three now. Hold on here. A lot of people are giving me, uh, Peg's giving me this look. Uh, I think it's because of age. That's why I have him at number three. Um, I know he's been like killing it the last four years in San Jose, five years in San Jose. Um, But, you know, he's hit 70 almost every single season. I think this is the year where it kind of goes down a bit. I think he's been playing a lot and uh, he's been relied on quite a bit. you got to remember he's 34 now. I don't think 70 is out of range for him. But don't be surprised if he gets around like 60 or 65. Because I remember two years ago, he didn't even hit – I think he had like 11 goals two years ago and he had like 59 or 60-something points. I'm seeing – like I'm not saying he's bad. I'm not saying he's, he's going on a downward spiral. I'm just saying – He's not the number one fantasy defenseman anymore.
1: Number three, Brent Burns. Number three, Eric Carlson. Not the best <laughs> fantasy defenseman anymore. That's basically what I was going to start with, the way you ended it. Uh, I still think he's unbelievable. He kind of got, like everyone shit on him last year for having 45 points in 53 games. Can we just think about that for a second as a defenseman? Yeah. That's crazy. He had three goals, which is obviously underwhelming, but he's he's still, even with the fucking three ACL tears, he still blows by people. He's very poised with the puck. We all know who he is. He's fucking, we saw him with Killis with Ottawa for 10 years. Um, You know, he's in his 30s now. He's had the injury problems. I think if he plays, he can easily bounce back. Assuming he does play the full year, I think 70 points isn't out of the question. So I got Eric Carlson at three still.
2: Number two, Brent Burns, Uh, just a goal scorer on the back end, (laughs) and all the points he's been picking up. I think uh, even San Jose, just look what they got him for. Devin Setaguchi and the GOAT Danny Heatley when he was on Minnesota, so that worked out well for them. He's a guy that I think, even if he slows down with age, he was also a right winger before, so they'll just put him up at right wing. And he still then he's still... that he's not on the, the list then. <laughs> He'll still put up the points and goals. So I think Brent Bird still has some gas left in the big friggin' tank that he has. He's like 6'8", a monster. I think he still can be at the top of fantasy hockey.
0: You guys are really making me uh, rethink my decision. But guess what? I'm not. My number two is Morgan Riley, Toronto Maple Leafs. This guy, uh, yeah. Uh, Offense is run in Toronto. Uh, defense is not a big... Part of Toronto's game, we all know it. Kyle Dubas loves the skilled guys. Morgan Riley's that player. He's shown all the skill the last couple of years. Last year, 72. Don't be surprised if he gets 75 this year. That's my expectation, especially with Marner and all these guys signed. Morgan Rielly's my number two. And for me, he could easily be number one by season's end. I
1: like it. I was so confident I was going to have him the highest on my list. And then you guys pull this bullshit. So, yeah, number two, I got Morgan Riley. 55 and then 70 point seasons. Babs shoved him into a defensive role to right off the bat, and he was putting up fucking 21 points a year. So that was fun. And then he said, hey kid, get on the power play, and uh, you know, show do, your do, skill. Do what put you on the map in the first place. And then 55, 70 point seasons. You look at the offense in, in Toronto. Only 26, 25 power. years old. All the all the signs are there. Power
2: play is just loaded. He can do it again. So I got him at two. Remember when uh, Brian Burke went up to Gary Bettman and said, oh, we had him first overall, and Gary Bettman just laughed at him. It's like, oh, really? We're glad that it worked out. I think he's actually first overall in that draft. I think so too, yeah. So good on Brian Burke. My number one, Eric Carlson. I think he's still the best offensive defenseman in the league, even though with the tears and all that, all those injuries. I think last year, injury trouble, we saw with one leg when he did in the playoffs, and he was still (laughs) out He was over a point a game in the playoffs. It's just crazy to watch. And they were even saying, oh, you know, he's injured right on one leg. And that's what Mike Babcock would probably like to hear. It's like, oh, we can still go. Looks better. (laughs) So, him at 100% had the whole offseason to really recuperate and get back to 100%. With this year now that he re signed in San Jose, he's going to take that spot again. Number one, Eric Carlson.
0: Number one, Eric Carlson. I think this guy went healthy and he will be healthy. 85 points is not out of the question. And you have guys that are emerging like Hurdle and Couture now being the captain. That's probably going to boost his confidence. Timo Meyer, you have all these young guys. Kevin LeBanc had 50 points last year. No one talks about him. He got a one-year deal. So Carlson has a lot more support now in San Jose than he ever did in Ottawa. And he was putting up 80 in Ottawa. So for me, I think he... Solidifies going into this season a little bit more fantasy dominant than Burns. I know Burns the last couple of years has surpassed him. I just think Eric Carlson now he's been healthy. We saw in the playoffs he had like 17 assists or something. He was just on a tear. He would always carry the puck the most. Me and you we always talk about how much he has the puck during the game. It's like half the game. Eric Carlson and me, he's a wizard. I think out of every D in the league he's the only D for me right now that could get over a point a game. So that for me, that's the reason he's number one on the list.
1: Number one for me is still Brent Burns. So it's a San Jose Sharks. San Jose can go fuck themselves. Yeah. Yeah. They got two point per game defensemen, which is very rare. Even given the fact that everyone's got a point per game player on their team. San Jose's got two defensemen that can do that. Uh, he scores 20 goals every year and he's around 70, 80 points. He's a horse on the power play, plays half the game. You know him and Carlson. That's it's a very scary duo. He is he is 35 now, but with that being said, he had a career year last year with 83 points. So I think he'll. I don't know what slowing down means. I don't think he'll reach that next year, but I, I still think nothing will phase him. And you're looking at around 20 goals and 70 plus. Yeah, that, that that's the for me. That's just the
0: differences. I think Carlson will. I think now that he's signed, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have that stress either. The injuries are gone, at least for now. Knock on wood. But, yeah, I think Eric Carlson will get 80 easily next year. That's just my opinion. That's it. But now we got to move forward to the ring. Uh, King Corbin is now official. What are you guys' thoughts? I know that this tournament was actually pretty good. Uh, What was your – I I know that what culture does this quite often? Ups and downs. Now – I want to just do this quickly because we really, like, I don't want this to be too long. What were your ups and downs of this tournament? And who in your mind, this is kind of obvious, but who in your mind stuck out the most?
1: Okay, well, I'm going to go with the safe pick here and just go Chad Gable. Because uh, he's one of the million guys they have there that's that's like, oh, let's just, he's got talent. We'll throw him in and give him a chance. He's been doing nothing for so long. And, uh, you know, we pay attention so we know how good he is, but it's nice to actually see them realize it and put them on tv and have them put on these great matches and whenever they do the tournaments like when they do it right it's the best thing uh on wrestling so i'm happy that they got the king of the ring tournament right it was a success it was fun everyone got a lot of spots in but the winner is just the funniest thing to me
2: Yeah, I'm going to go with the winner. That's up for <laughs> sure because they went with the heel that the crowd obviously can't stand when he comes on TV. and Not at all. Just <laughs> the down that I really hate. Remember that triple threat in the semifinal of the oh, tournament? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's supposed to be single elimination, and they're trying to make this like a tournament. So that's like the World Cup saying, okay, you guys both draw. <laughs> You're going to have a three-way. We're all going to play for the World <laughs> Cup, just go to the final. I think that was dumb. And uh, – Chad Gable, Shelton Benjamin was a little bit of a down because I thought all the other King of the Ring matches were long. That one was pretty short. It didn't really showcase Sheldon Benjamin and, what, and Chad Gable, what they can do in a match. So that's my down.
0: You guys could probably predict what my down is. My down is what the hell happened with Kevin Owens in this whole tournament. They were building this guy up as like the next Stone Cold at SummerSlam weekend. And then you have him get eliminated by Elias. And King of the Ring. And okay, that's great. There's a guy that actually needs a win. He doesn't win often, Elias. And then literally, Shane McMahon replaces Elias in the match, loses to Chad Gable, and then Kevin Owens gets fired. It's good. The up is storytelling, but the down is just the end result. It's just, it it was flat. What was the point of the push for Kevin Owens there? It was just, for me, he kind of got lost. Which is kind of surprising because Kevin Owens was running SmackDown. And then all of a sudden, here's Shane McMahon winning another feud. <laughs> so uh, I I still don't understand. I hope the whole NXT rumor is – I hope it's true because I guess it's a restart for Kevin Owens. I thought him coming back from injury was going to be a restart. But I guess they're uh, going to have to do it again. And I that's a big fat down for me.
1: I, big fat down. I feel like they didn't have – any plans for KO to win the King of the Ring? Because like they had him up against the Lice in the first round, and then when they saw that, they're probably like, oh, okay, we can keep the Shane stuff going. Then we'll just have like a, a sneaky finish, and then Shane and Owens will keep going at it. But yeah, I guess that's my down too. I didn't answer that before. Just KO being out in the first round.
2: Got well, because we
0: – well, me and you, we originally predicted Corbin. I think Owens was the final. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: I think that's what we predicted, and Corbin ended up winning. But the 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 thing that was great was the unpredictability of Gable. We all knew that Gable was, like, unreal, but it's WWE. They're not going to fucking push him. They're not going to put him in the spotlight, and they actually did. You know, he had a beautiful haircut. You know, he was looking nice, and then, you know, he got his push. Another questionable outcome for me was uh, what was the point of Ali in this tournament? Cause uh, buddy. I know, you know he'd be, I know he'd be good. buddy. That was great. Yeah. Buddy's emergence to like him. But even then f- just uh, to me, it fell flat. I feel like they could have done a little more with both of them, especially Ali. This guy's been getting time to even talk on TV. And then for me, the last couple weeks, I haven't really heard of Ali at all. So I don't know if they're kind of holding back on him because I remember in February, I remember they were really going to push him. They were going to give him a Kofi spot right now, but that changed. And, uh, yeah, it was just a, To me, it was predictable at the end of the day that Corman was winning, but Chad Gable being the challenger in the finals was refreshing. So I applaud WWE for that. But moving forward, Clash of Champions was Sunday. Basically, no titles changed except the, Revo- the, the, the tag titles. Both of them changed. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on Rude and Ziggler winning? I'm happy for Rude because he hasn't really been doing anything. But to me, it's kind of like a red flag last second thing where it's like, oh, yeah, let's not give a shit about the tag division. Throw it on these guys for now and then Heavy Machinery will beat them later on or the <laughs> club or whoever. But, yeah, what are you guys' thoughts on the, on the overall pay-per-view Clash of Champions?
2: It's pretty good. Had some good matches. Uh, Eric Rowan, it's his yard now. Beat <laughs> Roman. Luke Harper, great to see him back. And, he looks really thin. Yeah. So that time off Jesus, like, really helped him a lot. And I think – I don't know, They maybe you created a star with Eric Rowan. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> he actually talked, attacked Daniel Bryan. I think at the end of the day, Daniel Bryan will be the guy behind him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's good that they're leaving that out there. Like, wow, Eric Rowan could be this guy on his own. He doesn't need Daniel Bryan. And then once they join again, it'll make that faction much more stronger.
1: Look at Roman putting people over since he's come back. But, uh, yeah, there's some high spots in this show. But I said it right after. To me, it just... When you look back on it, I think it'll just kind of get lost because they have 16 pay-per-views a year. And this was kind of just, you know, their standard average show. It wasn't bad by any means, but I, I thought it was fine.
0: Did you guys think the end result was the right one with Strowman and uh, Rollins? you think Rollins winning was good? I, liked, I actually thought the match was pretty good. It was at Lesnar tor- territory, though, at the beginning. I didn't like the way it started no, at all. So I was like, what <laughs> is this? You're doing super kicks and then... Curb stomp and like, come on, just do a match.
1: I know where to go after that? But I did
0: love, I love the frog splash from Strowman. That <laughs> wow. that he looked like he almost like tore his knee. Like he he looked like he was in pain after that. But I don't know where they're going with the Fiend. I don't like it. I don't like the end. I I love like how okay you, you build now the Fiend and Seth Rollins, but too soon for me.
2: I don't, the Strowman thing with the splash I would have saved that for a bigger pay-per-view because now when he goes on to like wrestlemania that could have been like a crowning moment for him win a world title with a splash no one's seen that but he pulled that out a clash of champions in september a meaningless pay-per-view on the calendar and they shut down the lights <laughs> at the top to block off half the arena and seth kicked out and then yeah he kicked out and then beats him with like five curb stomps and It's over. And then The Fiend comes out and just takes away that moment. So The Fiend has to win the title because if they make Seth Rollins go over this, it's going to get ugly on programming. Like they think Roman Reigns was bad when he started getting pushed too much. If Seth Rollins goes through Lesnar, Strowman, and then The Fiend. Oh my. Good luck with that.
1: Yeah. We were saying before we went on, like, it's too soon for The Fiend, but at the same time, he can't lose. So we're kind of in a weird situation here. I don't want to see it now because there's always a... When you're a WWE fan, it's just worst-case scenario. How are they going to fuck this up? And if Seth were to win, I think it will be worse than Roman because The Fiend has been the most exciting thing that we have seen ever. And I can't even fucking remember since
2: when, so come on, Bray. But if Bray just comes out, it's not The Fiend. Like, they promoted as a Fiend, and then the match ends up being against Firefly Funhouse Bray, and he still wins. <laughs>
0: I just feel like uh, – I've said this in past
2: podcasts.
0: I feel like Seth Rollins is the new Roman Reigns. And uh, they did that I if it was intentional, if it wasn't. Because Roman Reigns is now pretty much well-liked. Uh, that's the reception I get. He was cheered at the pay-per-view. There was really no this is boring chance. It was long, but it was, it was pretty good. It was entertaining. Thank God it was an ODQ match because if it wasn't, then God, that would have been awful. But – I don't know what the fuck they're doing with Seth Rollins. Ever since SummerSlam, the whole build, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm the underdog. I'm facing Brock Lesnar. And then he beats Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam, where we thought that maybe Lesnar was going to hold it again till Mania. I wasn't really sure. I didn't want to think that. But Rollins winning was great in the moment. But now he's looking. I feel like he's looked at as the Brock Lesnar on Raw, where literally no one's beating him. No one's beating Seth Rollins. And she gets drafted to SmackDown. And if the Fiend is you gotta so Hell in the Cell is after the, the draft. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure now it is confirmed that we're getting the Fiend versus Seth Rollins for the Universal title, even if they go to SmackDown. But what the hell like the Fiend has had one match. And you're telling me you're gonna put him up against Seth Rollins second match in your character's history, and you're gonna win the Universal title.
1: To me. It's exciting. It's new, but it's too soon. Just seeing the belt on him, like it's, I don't know what they would do right now. Like who would be next in line? You're trying to think forward for Bray. Like it kind of sets everything back for me. Like he should still be coming out once every two months to like stick his hand down someone's throat and then disappear. And then maybe a year from now, give him that title shot when, you know, he's earned it.
0: You know, you know who makes sense. To face Bray Wyatt for the universal title.
2: John Cena. No. (laughs) Redemption. He
0: just wrote him off TV. Finn Balor.
2: Oh, the Fiend versus the Demon.
0: And then the Demon wins. So if this whole thing is for the Fiend versus the Demon at Mania for the belt, I'm all for it. But I want the Fiend to come out, not every fucking week. I want him to come out once every month with the belt. I know that's bad. Cause if he does have the belt, that's bad, but it's different. It's not like Brock where he comes out. He's the same ass character, you know, like I love like Brock Lesnar. He was a part-time champ. He would never defend it, but this would be a different part-time champ. This would be a part-time champ where fans are actually intrigued. It's like, what the hell is this guy's next move? I have no idea what he's doing. So if this long-term plan is to have the fiend versus the demon I'm all for it, but I think I maybe would have waited for uh, The Fiend to win the title or maybe even the Rumble. So, like, I maybe would have done something different like that. But I guess now they're in a corner where Seth is the most over guy, but at the same time the most hated guy probably on the roster. And then you have the most exciting thing going, The Fiend. So, yeah, they really are backed into a corner when you think about it. But, yeah, I think The Fiend has to win this. If he doesn't, major backlash. Huge. I'm afraid
2: to see how this Fiend... Title Run would end. If he wins it, you know they're gonna end it with a sour note, and I wonder who is gonna be the guy to unfortunately end it. Maybe it will be John Cena. I feel like it's your boy. Brock? Yeah. Nah. There's just (laughs) whenever we think he's gone or it's something. He comes back, he makes a prediction, like the money
0: in the bank and comes back. Like
2: those two characters, like I don't know how they would even make that program work. Like, well, they, you
0: would you would have to have Brock the face.
2: You would I have. I don't think those styles would. I think those are the two you can't even really put together. it would probably be. Okay, but remember SummerSlam when Lesnar was the face and Taker was the heel. Yeah, there was. It's awesome. shit
0: like yeah. that. Yeah, like it would be something like that probably, where it's like, yeah, the fiend is cheered
2: and Lesnar is kind of cheered, but yeah, Lesnar's the face here. Unless. Here's another bold prediction: King Corbin <laughs> beats the fiend at WrestleMania for the title. Oh my and God! Walks out of Tampa with the gold. You want to and talk about?
0: You want to talk about like top heel in the that's, company? Yeah, that's that's Baron me. Corbin. Yeah.
1: I think I'm going hiatus on this podcast if that happens.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't want Baron to win the title. <laughs>
2: Can you imagine the reaction the next night? He comes out with the crown, the red belt. I'm your new Universal Champion, Tampa's favorite son,
0: Baron, Baron Corbin. Corbin. <laughs> Now, well, the last thing I want to talk about is Kofi Kingston's title reign. When do you guys think it's ending? I think it should have ended the uh, Sunday night because the Revival beat the New Day. I thought, like, all three of them winning would have been pretty cool, but I guess they waited. I think Orton should win at Hell in the Cell, kind of like what me and this guy said last week. Do you think it's really going to happen, though? Because he beat Orton clean.
1: Yeah, that's... Uh, No, I do not. I think Kofi gets the better of Randy in this feud. Uh, I just think you know, 10 years ago, I guess Kofi wasn't ready or whatever they were going with, and Orton was owning him. 10 years later, I think they're going with Kofi's proved himself over those years, and now that he's the champ, he can take on everyone. And then you circle back to Randy, and I think Kofi at the end will win the feud and then say, hey, I deserve to be here. And then one of our heroes comes in and ends his fucking reign. I just feel like it's gone to the point where... He's done, like, as much as he can
0: to win the crowd over, and now the crowd is kind of, like, turning on Kofi. You could tell.
1: I see mixed reviews with that. Like Some people love it. Some people hate it. I don't really know where to, where to
0: I don't. I don't mind it for now because, like, the programs haven't – like, him with – like, he's brought the best out of Orton, like, at least in a long time. And I appreciate that. But, man, that SummerSlam match just threw me off, and it threw me – it made me very sour with Kofi. Cause they built that, and then it ended in a DQ. Because why? He looked at his family. We were in like, the
1: crowd too. So when the match <laughs> stopped, we're like, "What the fuck happened?" <laughs> I didn't know what happened, dude. Like, it was like ding, was ding, ding. Countdown. We're like, like, we're like what happened?
0: it was a DQ. We're like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" This <laughs> that is, that is the can. most. This shoot had the most animosity, and you're gonna end it in a DQ finish.
1: That's why I kind of like the uh, the revival stuff and adding Big E and Xavier in it and you get more elements to it and it's a little more exciting. But but that's why
0: I'm surprised Orton lost at
1: Clash of Champions. Yeah,
0: clean. I'm like, what? That was weird. I'm like, okay, is this – because do you remember what they said? You don't get a rematch <laughs> if you lose. Yeah, way back one. So it's like, is this guy – is this feud over? Who's Kofi feuding with moving forward? So that's why tonight should be intriguing. I don't really know what to expect. With Kofi, tonight. I feel like
1: they give you hints because like he's teaming with the revival, and the, Rev- the revival just won the tag team titles, and then people will think, oh, well, Orton's gonna, it's gonna be his time soon, and then they'll have all the belts. I feel like that's how they're gonna swerve you, and then Kofi will win, and then that's when the other story comes in play. That oh yeah, I deserve to be here. I just beat Randy Orton, the guy that told me I was never gonna make it as a top guy. It's just like I don't know who who's next in line. Baron Corbin. I want to see Al- something for Aleister
2: Black. So yeah, but that would he have to be a heel to face Kofi? Or has, he kind of Randy he kind on? of is. Yeah.
0: Like in a way, tweener. He's a tweener. You
2: that's the why they should have had that. Yeah, they should have Randy win. It would have made the most sense. This that's the only feud that you would think, okay, that could be a Hell in a Cell match. And then after that, have Randy go over again, and then Alistair Black comes out. You.
0: Black I probably the way I probably would have booked it at least a month ago. I probably would have had Orton beat uh, Kofi and then have KO beat Orton for the belt, and I, I guess that's not happening now. So I don't know what to expect. I don't want to see Kofi have it for a whole year. I really don't want to see that. Yeah. But if that means you have to solidify and make Kofi's legacy that much bigger, sure. But I just want to see Daniel Bryan win the title back. Another. I miss game, those days. Unfortunately,
2: could be Shane McMahon. <laughs> no. Imagine no, that. I oh, think those man, I think those days are done. <laughs> I, I can't imagine it, <laughs> it can happen. You never know. There's that Saudi Arabia event. Well, all the plans get Nova, thrown out yep. fucking Halloween. window. Yeah. Who's gonna step up to face Kofi? Shane McMahon. Oh my god. They need those old timers back there.
0: Well, that's all we have for this week's episode. Make sure to <laughs> make sure to 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 listen to us on all our socials and all that SoundCloud, everything, YouTube, you name it, Spotify. And, yeah, that's it for this week. Hopefully uh, at the Saudi show it's not Shane McMahon, and hopefully maybe it'll be King Corbin because the draft is soon. Take care, guys.